Greetings and welcome to Resistance Recovery. Resistance Recovery is dedicated to the exploration of any and all topics related to recovery, spirituality, and culture. Join us as we interview thought leaders working at the edges of cultural transformation. My name is Piers Kanuka, and I'll be your host. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm very, very happy to have this week's guest, Sherry Mitchell, author of Sacred Instructions. And Sherry does remarkable work as an activist, an author and lawyer. And so I would, um, I guess I'd just like to start uh, with you introducing yourself, Sherry, and just give us a sense of, of the scope of your work. Okay. Um, first of all, thank you very much for having me. Um, uh, my name is Sherry Mitchell. My name and my language is Wanahamukwasit. I'm from the Penobscot Nation. And I um, have an organization called the Land Peace Foundation, which is an organization that's dedicated to the preservation of indigenous rights, land, water, uh, spiritual rights, and also to the preservation of the indigenous way of life. I also do a lot of climate change work and environmental justice work. Great. Um, so having read your book, I can, I'm taking it that this is indigenous wisdom for a non-indigenous audience. And I would imagine that, that it was a journey to get here, to, to make the decision to speak these, these, this wisdom to us. Mm. Can you perhaps give us a little sense of what brought you there? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that it was primarily for a non-Indigenous audience. I think that um, uh, I actually had a remarkable uh, amount of communication from young indigenous peoples from uh, around the Americas who have been uh, deeply moved by what they found in the book uh, because they don't have an elder in their area that can teach those things to them. And so um, I have been raised in a tradition where uh, you don't write down those types of things. Uh, you'll notice that there really isn't anything descriptive about ceremony in the book at all. Mm -hmm. um, we don't share any ceremonial teachings or practices. Just um, We just talk, talk about our experiences with such, such things. Um, and there, um, you know, we have a very strong oral tradition. And the, the reason for the oral tradition is, is multifold. And um, there is a real prohibition against memorializing things in writing because uh, we believe that when we speak and we're passing on teachings in that way, those, speaking, those teachings stay alive, they remain alive. Uh, and then when you write them down and then you just walk away from them, that the life goes out of those teachings and they are no longer active and engaged, um, you know, because vibration and frequency create form. Uh, you know, and form directs the movement of matter. And so when we think about, you know, our relationship with 
with uh, living presence, our, our ability to co-create the reality that we're living in, all of those things uh, really are, are driven by the words that we speak, um, the sounds that we emit, the way that we are vibrating ourselves uh, energetically at the time that we're conveying our messages. And so I, um, I had been working with a group of spiritual elders for probably 25 years, the time that the book was written and um, had never intended to write a book of that sort and was actually told by the elders that that was one of my purposes in life was to convey those messages and that that was um, you know, one of the gifts that I had that I had to responsibility to share. And the one who most strongly um, encouraged me in that direction was actually one of the elders who wouldn't, who wouldn't sign any of the documentations that we prepared on, um, you know, indigenous spiritual rights for the UN or for other decision-making bodies in the US or, um, you know, the International Court of Justice. And, um, and so it was really powerful for me coming from that individual that uh, they were saying, no, you have to do this because if you don't bring forward what's within you, it's going to make you sick. And um, that, that there are people who need to hear these messages right now. And that's, that's going to be your task. And so, um, it took me a while to come to it. Uh, I actually did get sick cause I kept putting it off. Um, and then, um, by the time the book was written, the elder who had told me that had passed. And, um, so there was a lot of sadness for me in that, but, um, there are a number of others who I, I mentioned in the acknowledgments um, in the book who um, were alive and a lot of the clan mothers from my territory actually listened to me read every single chapter before it was submitted um, and there was you know we went over uh, is this acceptable to to share publicly and and I got that that approval from them so, so there's a there's a very tell uh, I was really struck by a little story you tell in the book about what happened when Europeans started writing down Penobscot stories and how in their translation, they, they brought in a lot of presuppositions about spirit, masculinity. Um, the word for God, if you could, before the divine, could you please say that in your culture? Um, well, it's not just Penobscot. Um, these these uh, stories span Wabanaki territory. So it's where the Wabanaki are a confederation of tribes. So there are five tribes within the Wabanaki Confederacy, just like there are five tribes in our uh, relatives, you know, uh, slightly to our west, the Iroquois Confederacy. And so, uh, you know, all of the stories have that. The, the story that I tell in the book is about um, a creation story where the, um, the creator is Niskum. And uh, yeah, Niskum is the one who is the keeper or the holder of all of the eggs. So it's the woman. And the way the European historian wrote that down, that was lost in the, in the translation. Well, what happens with a number of our stories, another example from the book that I talk about is 
um, of uh, Guscabe, and um, Guscabe is one of the mythological creatures in our tradition. Um, and the the name of Guscabe was um, the man who speaks the truth, uh, and he was translated by um, these. European scholars and missionaries into the great liar. Oh my. Uh, and so uh, Guscabe was born a twin. Um, so uh, Guscabe was born with Mulsum and uh, there's this conflict between Mulsum and Muldoon. And um, that was translated to Mulsum, which is a wolf and then was later translated to the evil twin um, and Mul, M-U-L, uh, for like Muldoon and Molsum, um, that that mull is the bleeding time of the woman to denote feminine ability to create, to give life. Um, and so there was uh, Guscabe, who was the masculine twin, and then the feminine twin, who was turned into a male and then an evil male. Um, and and so the story, which I, in the sequel to um Sacred Instructions, I talk a little bit more about that because the story about Guscabe and uh, Muslim's birth is that um, the evil twin actually cuts their way out of the mother's womb, uh, killing the mother. And so it, that's also, to me, a demarcation point from where our matrifocal, matrilineal, matricultural ways of being were uh, really disrupted um, and and uh, subject to violence as a result of the Christian story of the you know woman coming out of the side of man. So here you have the evil twin coming out the side of the mother, killing the mother in the process. So at the time when that story of that uh, you know uh, rib-born birth that denied women the right of birth came to be, um, it also really disrupted our matricultural, matrilineal ways of being. And I think the changes in that story were our elders' ways of saying, when this story is adopted, uh, our ways of being are being destroyed, hence the death of the mother. And so, you know, there's a lot of, of depth in that story that we'll get more into in the follow-up to sacred instructions. And it's safe to assume that that kind of perversion of the of these stories happened all through the Americas and then amongst First Nations. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and we're finding so many of them and it really is, the key to it is our language keepers. So those people who are, are um, born uh, with the language as their first language, affluent speakers are able to say, okay, when we look at the story and we look at the story in the language, we can trace the original meaning based on what the original meaning of the language is. And then we can look at how the story has been changed, um, you know, over time. So as we're decolonizing our stories and decolonizing our language, uh, for instance, we, you know, we didn't have one creator. We had um, the creators, um, you know, uh, mother and father, masculine and feminine, the sacred masculine and the sacred feminine, which is also, um, coming in the follow-up where you have Kachiniwesk, the sacred feminine, and you have Ekjimundo, the sacred masculine. And where our tribal peoples um, were matriarchal, uh, what they did was they turned Ekjimundo, the sacred masculine, into 
um, the devil. And then Kachini West went to Kachini West because that's a, that sound at the end, which makes it feminine, a feminine denotation mm -hmm. and became masculine, singular male God in the sky. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, there are all of these distortions about our stories um, that, that were originally, you know, um, the man who speaks truth, who became the great liar, according to the missionaries, because it was telling the truth about our, our traditional ways of being that contradicted the story that Christianity was trying to impose upon us. Mm -hmm. So um, given our audience, I'd just like to move in a, a slightly different direction. Um, I had the privilege of coming to your land being invited probably over 10 years ago, 2007 maybe. And it was for a, um, a movement called White Bison, which is a, a recovery movement that's trying to recontextualize some things into culturally appropriate ways. And while I was there, it was a, I had a remarkable time, but towards the end of my time, the facilitator took me aside and he explained to me that amongst intact indigenous peoples, there is no addiction. And I was shocked, frankly, and it really changed my whole perspective on everything. But one of the things that was even more telling about this is when I went back to work and I was working in this treatment place, I was like the program director. I told my colleagues, I said, I had this remarkable learning at this event and explained what was told to me. And my colleagues, the reply was, oh, wow, that's interesting. And they walked away. And over the years, I've been kind of tracking that a little bit. And um, eventually I came to work with this man, Bruce Alexander, who, who kind of follows up on that. Um, and one of the things that seems most evident is that cultures that have some sort of a relationship with the earth that I'm sure that I can only intellectually understand, maybe I have some intimation otherwise, but those cultures don't have this, this thing with addiction. Um, and it's only when that, that relationship is violently severed that this, this thing comes up. Is, can you speak to that at all? Well, I think that, uh, you know, most people at this point in time agree that most addiction is trauma related. And yeah. so um, when we think about the trauma of destruction of these cultural ways of being that we're in, in harmonious balance with the rest of life. And so, you know, recognizing, you know, we talk, I talk a lot about this in the book, um, but, you know, recognizing our connection to all life, um, uh, what we call when we, when we, you know, offer anything publicly, we always say at the end, you know, Basilda and Dilna Bamak, I offer this for all of my relations, recognizing that I can't even speak, I can't even offer breath um, to the world without it impacting all life, that, that what I do in the world, how I move through the world impacts all life. Uh, and recognizing that all life is related to us and having that deep understanding um, and, and understanding the, the connectivity uh, to that source of life and how that impacts us. Um, and so, 
you know, if we wanted to get really deep into that, we could start talking about the fact that um, this epidemic of anxiety that we're feeling on the planet is uh, not necessarily something being wrong with us individually. It's something being righted, the process of something being righted within us as a species, because we're starting to reconnect to um, that veil between us and the rest of life is thinning to the point where we're actually picking up on the anxiety that uh, the rest of the creatures in the natural world are experiencing and the earth itself. Um, because we have uh, caused the extinction of 60% of the species on the planet, human beings have, have made that happen. And so, um, you know, because we've had such a devastating impact on the planet, uh, you know, the universe is continuously conspiring to help us to grow and to evolve our thinking. And so when we start thinking about um, the trauma of that separation from that state of knowing, that deep connectivity with all life, that being in harmonious balance, um, then we start to understand how a uh, separation or an absence of that type of balance, that type of harmony in one's life, um, that disconnection from the source of our survival uh, can cause within us a state of panic and anxiety that we can't name, that we don't understand because the dominant culture has moved so far away from the sources of their survival, have labeled everything that's connected with birth and the sustaining of life as being uh, evil, right? Over, over the years, uh, you know, the attacks that have gone on for centuries against women and now we're seeing them amp amped up again, these attacks against women's bodies. Um, is really all about this, this fear of the power of creation. And so uh, when we think about that history connected to that, when we think about the, the depth of that wound um, and people's inability to recognize that severing that umbilical connection between, um, you know, between us and between the sources of our survival um, actually uh, can cause a deep traumatic impact within us. And so when, um, when we look at populations that have addiction problems, uh, you see somebody who grows up in this beautiful, you know, um, mid to upper white neighborhood, you know, uh, up, upper class white neighborhood where they appear to have everything, right? They come from a beautiful home. They have an intact family. Uh, you know, they seem to have all of these things, but there's absolutely no connection to the things that are, are really meaningful deep within the soul of that person. Um, you know, there's no real relationship or connection that has any depth with the parents. Uh, there's no depth of connection with the sources of life. There's no uh, depth of understanding about the plight of other living beings. Uh, and all of that, we're picking up si signals from the rest of life all the time. Uh, because we're connected, right, through quantum entanglement. And yeah. so, um, you know, and, and I can explain that if you want, but, you know, that's, that's just a whole other, that's, this is where we're going in the follow-up to Sacred Instructions is into all of this, because uh, Sacred Instructions was really just an introduction. Um, and so, you know, we really need to understand the depth of connection that we have with the rest of life and how it impacts our well-being. Uh, even when we're not connected to it, it impacts our well-being. Mm -hmm. uh, because we are connected. We're just losing awareness of that connection. And so, uh, you know, when we start to understand all of the mechanics of that, uh, all of the science of it, right, uh, then we start to understand for the first time maybe the depth of wisdom and in indigenous knowledge. 
um, that that when we talk about our web of life teachings, that what we're really talking about is quantum entanglement, um, you know, and, and that we have this understanding of the powers of creation, uh, that whole principle of shamanic um, orientation is really about understanding that we're moving within um, these energetic patterns and are able to shift and, and redirect them uh, in order to change a physical manifestation. And so, you know, it's just, it's really science and it's a deep, deep understanding of science that science as it's been labeled is now just beginning to catch up with an understanding for. And so as we're, as we're really diving deep into that, we can also see the benefit of suppressing that knowledge um, and really um, ignoring and making invisible indigenous people. Uh, indigenous people all over the world as a result of colonization have been the ones that all others have elevated themselves against. And so, uh, you know, an example is that a, a lot of slaves earn their freedom by killing Indians yeah. uh, as a Buffalo soldier. And so that whole pitting one group against each other and um, making sure that every other group that came here had a vested interest in the suppression of indigenous peoples um, helped to suppress also that wisdom and that knowledge about our connectivity to, to life. And so, um, you know, there's, there's real complexity um, within, that, within that story that needs to really be unpacked so that people can start to understand the real significance of how far we've traveled from um, the source of, of our own life. So when I left that event, one of the things that they had talked about, these were indigenous people speaking to indigenous people largely, that the recovery from the addiction had to do with a reconnection with the culture. And I left there as a, as, a, as a Caucasian white guy going, well, what, what, is, what would be the culture that I reconnect to? Because, you know, I, I know a little bit about my great, my grandparents, virtually nothing about my great grandparents. And so what, what would you say to, to somebody who does not have those kinds of roots, which is the dominant culture? Uh, I would say that um, you do have those kind of roots. And so um, one of the things that I get asked all the time is uh, some derivative of this question that you just posed to me. Um, and uh, I think that uh, one, of the, one of the challenges is that we live in a just add water society. And so people just want somebody else to give them the answer. Um, you know, they want somebody else to say, oh, well, look, I've done all the work. Here's the results. And now you benefit from it. Um, and what needs to happen is that people really re need to reconnect, uh, you know, with the soil. Because when we talk about, uh, you know, you talk about somebody who um, is, uh, you know, maybe a, a geological climatologist. Okay. And, um, you look at the letters after their name and you think, wow, they really are smart. They're, you know, they're, they have all of this knowledge and I'm going to listen to them as though they're some type of specialist or expert uh, in this particular field. Uh, when an indigenous person tells you, uh, we look to the stones as our relatives, as our elders, uh, because we recognize that it was actually rock was the first thing that was here, right? 
and the stones are the oldest things here on Mother Earth, uh, and that they contain a wealth of knowledge that can tell us uh, what's happened here since the very beginning of, of life on Earth. Um, looking through that geological data, then we're looking at magical or mystical thinking, right? Mm -hmm. And so even though the data is exactly the same, um, you know, there's this conflict. And so um, when we when we tell people that, you know, there needs to be a reconnection to the soil, uh, soil has memory. And you are biologically related to the soil where the majority of your people come from. Uh, because there is more blood of your relatives in that soil containing that blood memory um, than any other place on the planet. Uh, but you also have a magnetic orientation to the soil in the place where you were born, where your physical birth took place. Uh, your body magnetically orients to that, that soil in that place. And so if you can, if you can make a connection by, by reconnecting yourself to the earth, right? Reconnecting yourself uh, to that soil memory, uh, reconnecting to the living waters that provide us with the capacity for life. Science has finally said, hey, water contains memory. Yeah, no kidding. We've been trying to tell you that for a thousand years, um, you know, and it's, um, you know, uh, you can actually speak into the water and then drink that water and have that come that inquiry come into your body and intermingle with all of the waters that make up your being. Uh, you can you can ask the questions and over time the answers will reveal themselves to you if you're sincere and you're willing to invest the time. Um, you know we at one point in time we regained these. Um, really old hundreds of year old wampum belts and about 50% of them we could read and about 50% of them we couldn't. And so the ones that we couldn't read, we could have just said, oh, well, we're just, you know, we're just going to say we lost this information, but that's not what we chose to do. Instead, um, some of our ceremonial people took those belts home with them and they prayed with them and they made offerings and they, you know, they held them um, because there is still a vibration within them of the ones who made them, of the knowledge that was being transmitted. And, uh, you know, they, they kept them with them, sometimes for months and months and months and months at a time, uh, until the secrets that were held within that energetic pattern began to reveal themselves to the one who was that holder, you know. And in some instances, it took years mm -hmm. for all that information to come back. But over time, all of that information came back and now there's an ability to read those belts um, with real depth of understanding, not just a surface level, I'm reading the words that are here, right? but with a real depth of understanding of what was being conveyed. And that capacity is available to everyone. Um, one of the things that I often refer people to, and it's you know, a book that was largely written for women, but I think that anybody could benefit from it um, is a book by um, a friend of mine, Sharon Blackie, uh, and she's, she's Irish. And she wrote a book, uh, If Women Rose Rooted. And she talks about how she was introduced to this connection um, to life from indigenous peoples that she came in contact with um, when she was working as a tobacco company executive in the <laughs> United States, right? And that she knew that she needed to make that connection, but she didn't want to appropriate somebody else's culture 
uh, in order to do that. So she actually dug and, and really did the work to find uh, where were her roots and what difference does it make for her in her own life if she rises rooted from that place. And I think that we all have that capacity to do that if we're willing to do the work um, in, and, and to treat the elements of life, you know, the soil and the water and the winds and the sun, uh, you know, the, that, that fire, uh, treat those elements of life uh, with some so sort of reverence as conductors of energy, um, conductors of information. And so there's not just water that makes up our body. There's also a layer of water between our physical body and our energetic body. It negotiates between, uh, you know, our, our physical body and our emotional body as well, uh, you know, and between our, between our spirit and our soul. There are all of these layers of water that conduct information concentrically out through all layers of our being uh, and then connect us to one another. So water is a really powerful um, source to connect with when you're trying to gain a deeper understanding, even of yourself, but certainly um, the water and the soil in regard to, you know, where are my roots planted? And um, what does that rootedness feel like uh, within my own body when it's intact? Can you give me an experience of what that rootedness uh, within my own body feels like when I am fully intact? Uh, and, you know, you hold some water in your hand and you, and you make that prayer, uh, you know, and you send that prayer into the, into the earth with the water. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of things that symbolically that you can do to make that connection. And what it does is it's not magic. You know, it's not a formula. Uh, what it does is it's telling your highest self, I am ready and willing to accept this knowledge that I have suppressed within myself. And it opens up a pathway for that to come forward. And so, uh, you know, there, there are ways for, for people to access that knowledge if they're willing to do the work. And I'm assuming that would apply to the dead as well, coming back into relation to our, to our ancestors. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, people, people always say to me, you know, I had contact with this spirit and I had contact with that spirit and they told me this and they told me that. And I, I just always advise people to remember just because somebody's dead doesn't mean they're enlightened. Right. And so we want to go to the highest source of truth, um, you know, because if you're talking to a spirit and they're making fun of somebody else and they're teaching or advising you to be mean or to do anything that's not an act of great love, uh, then that's not a spirit you want to be talking to. And so you only want to be talking to spirits that are vibrating at a level of love or above, you know, higher level beings um, to guide you. Um, because when we had the first year of healing Turtle Island, uh, you know, we had a healing trauma ceremony for the people that were there, but then we opened the doorway for those from the other side to come in and to lay their traumas down at that fire as well. And the power of what happened there was uh, indescribable um, because the, there was an answering call that was really powerful from the other side where we did have, I got over 400 email messages <laughs> from people who said that they had had their first spiritual experience during that particular part of the ceremony where they actually saw um, spiritual entities walking into 
um, the ceremony. And, um, you know, people had family uh, heirlooms that, you know, were in some form of jewelry that was connected to an ancestor who was part of something that was really traumatic. Um, you know, one person had an ancestor who was part of the cavalry, um, you know, who was responsible for the killing of a lot of indigenous peoples. And she was there as an ancestor with a bracelet that was made out of one of the metals from this cavalry person that literally just, you know, vanished off her arm in the course of that particular ceremony. It was never to be found again. Um, you know, like that there's a lot of healing that needs to be done interdimensionally, intergenerationally um, with our ancestors. And, and we can be the conduit for that healing because we're connected to three generations uh, before us and three generations behind us. And then we're that holder in the center, that's that seventh generation lineage. Um, you know, so when you look at, at me, my great grandmother carried the eggs for my being in her body before I was even considered. Uh, and I carry the eggs for my great, great, great granddaughter in my body, right? Three generations ahead and three generations back. And so, um, you know, acknowledging that lineal connection that we have, we have the capacity to heal um, that many generations um, behind us and going ahead of us if we do our own work. Maybe it would be a good time to just describe the, the gathering that happens at Turtle Island every year. Yeah, um, Healing Turtle Island is a, a 21 year ceremony and it um, came as a result of one of our prophecies that talked about the reopening of the Eastern Doorway uh, where this, um, the Eastern Doorway, spiritual doorway is the direction of creation. And it's also the place where first contact occurred here between indigenous peoples and the newcomers. Um, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And what the relationship that was forged at that time was forged in deception and it was forged in blood. And then that Eastern doorway um, was closed by one of our spiritual peoples uh, to prevent the proliferation of any more bloodshed or violence um, on this land. And so what was already created was powerful enough for it to sweep from the East to the West and then to be exported out. And so there was a lot of trepidation about reopening that Eastern doorway. Uh, but the prophecy said that when people of the earth all start rising up in protection of um, life, uh, then it's time for us to come together once again under that Eastern doorway to open that Eastern doorway and to forge a new sacred agreement, a sacred contract with one another um, uh, to live in right relationship with one another and with all other life and with mother earth herself. And so uh, that ceremony is a 21 year ceremony, as I said, and it goes uh, four years in the East. We just completed the fourth year this summer. Um, and next it's gonna go to the South. It'll be in the South for four years. We're not disclosing that location because of COVID and uh, for a number of other reasons. So we will do that quietly and then have a televised or some kind of broadcast this year. Uh, we did it uh, virtually as well and uh, had over 40,000 viewers who joined in. And so um, we have indigenous spiritual leaders from all over the world, from six continents who have been part of the ceremony. 
Um, and then people have come from all over the world. The last live gathering we had, there were 2000 people present from six continents who were there. And so um, it's, it's a very powerful thing and it's gonna travel to all of the directions. And then uh, there'll be bundling of all those prayers in the center of the country for four years. And then on the 21st year, it'll come back uh, under that Eastern doorway where that gate will be closed again. And hopefully it'll usher in a new way of us being in relationship with one another for the next age um, that we're entering into. And I would imagine there's been a real felt change already. Oh, incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's changed people's lives in ways that none of us ever anticipated um, or could have predicted. And it has um, made, it, it's been made clear to us that we are not in charge of the ceremony, uh, that we are just holding the doorway open uh, and what's coming in is coming in for the benefit um, of us all. So, uh, yeah, it's been really powerful. And the, um, the prophecy and the, the, the specter of the ceremony has been something that has been with you mm -hmm. since you were a small child. Yeah. Yeah, I started having dreams um, that I was told by our spiritual elders corresponded to that prophecy when I was about four years old. And so uh, I have been having those dreams for about 43 years before I was given the responsibility of actually, um, you know, holding the ceremony um, and, and um, bringing the people together for, for the ceremony. And so, uh, you know, and it's not something that um, I, uh, I get, I get, I get a, I kind of get a hard time by some of, some of my, some of my own people are like, you need to tell that story. But I feel like, you know, this isn't something that um, is entered into lightly. Um, and it's certainly not anything that's um, promotional, uh, that this is a responsibility that I take very, very seriously. Um, and holding and, and being willing to um, hold this um, immense responsibility for 21 years is not a light undertaking. Uh, it's daunting and it's heavy and, um, and uh, it's about m more than any one of us. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a responsibility that we all have to make a sea change, to transform the ways that we have been being in relationship with one another, um, to, uh, you know, shift that into uh, more harmonious and balanced way of being. And, and for us, that way of life, we call Skijinueba Musawagan. And so um, I have a community that I'm building here um, based on those principles um, and called Wajukum Tiltina, kinship community. And what Wajukum Tiltina means is let's help one another. And it's really about let's help one another learn how to live in right relationship with Mother Earth. Let's help one another, learn how to be in right relationship with one another and to see each other beyond the masks of our trauma. Um, let's, let's be in right relationship with our relatives in the natural world so that uh, we're not actually jeopardizing our own lives uh, and their lives by the ways that we're living upon the earth and how we're walking, that we're walking gently so that we're not crushing the faces of, of the future generations who are waiting to be born. And so, um, you know, all of those 
types of things um, are part of part of holding that ceremony, right? And um, and and um, it not being an event, but being a way of life that we're all committed to living together for the next 21 years to see what we can actively co-create. Mm. And um, you know, it's just it's really humbling and beautiful to be able to be part of that and to bear witness to what's being created as a result of it. We're running out of time, but there's a couple, just a couple of things I'd like to ask you about. Uh, the other night I was with some friends and we were discussing your book and um, patience, which is kind of what we were just talking about, but the role of patience, mm. of letting something gestate and mature before we act. I think that we all found that to be perhaps one of the most challenging things <laughs> in, in sacred instructions. Well, uh, it's one of the most challenging things in life. <laughs> so yeah you grew up with that teaching mm. you had this this dream as a girl and you would go to the elders i would imagine every few years and and you oh, with the ceremony yeah i mean it took 43 years for it to come to the point where um there was finally a sign that, you know, they kept saying, oh, well, they'll let us know when it's time. <laughs> and uh, Your job is to just keep telling the story because you're probably just the keeper of the story to keep the prophecy alive. And so from now on, you tell the story every time you go to ceremony. And, um, you know, after 43 years of telling the story uh, in within a uh, short window of days, I got a call from an elder in all four directions um, saying uh, your, your dream came up in our ceremony this weekend. And I think that there's something coming. You want, want to talk to your people. Um, and so it was enough to get the, get the elders for me to call the elders in and to say, okay, look, this is what's happening. And they said, yeah, it is time. And I said, well, you know, great. When are you going to do the ceremony? And they said, oh, you're going to do the ceremony. Like, <laughs> all of these, all of these elders you've been working with for the past 25 years, you know, um, these indigenous spiritual elders from all over the world. And, um, and, and they came, you know, and it happened. And um, like I said, it's, it's, um, it has very little to do with me as a human being. It has, um, it has more to do with, uh, you know, my, my willingness to just hold a door open uh, and to ask others to help me to hold that weight of that door um, so that a wiser energy than ours can come in and to help redirect our course because we've gone so badly off course that we're endangering all life. The next book, when, when, is it out or is it soon to be out? My goal is to have it to be finished, completely finished with it by the end of this year. Um, cal this calendar year. So it'll be out probably in the fall of 2021. And the title? The title is, um, is a living, breathing, changing thing at the moment. Um, so um, the title I've been working with has been um, Foundational Laws. Uh, so looking at the foundational laws of the universe through an indigenous lens. And so I haven't really solidified what the final title is going to be. It's gone through like four 
um, different iterations in the last three months. And so uh, I was saying with conviction what it was going to be. Now I'm not doing that anymore <laughs> because it's, it's fluid. Um, and I thought for a second you said the title is a living, breathing, changing thing. <laughs> well, maybe that was, maybe that's what it'll end up being. Um, but yeah, it's really about looking at, you know, these foundational laws that govern all life in the universe and how we can actively engage them in order to change the course of our direction. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. And for people that want to help you hold the door open, how can they find you and support your work? Um, well, uh, there are a couple of ways I have, a author's webpage that is grossly out of date right now, just because of COVID, because we haven't, you know, I haven't been able to connect with, um, the person who normally keeps that up for me. Cause I'm, I'm just not tech savvy. Um, and, uh, so that website is sacredinstructions.life. Uh, there are some things on there that are connected to, um, you know, classes that I have available and, and things like that. Um, there's also uh, www.landpeacefoundation.org. Um, and uh, the programs of our, uh, you know, organization are on there. Healing Turtle Island is on there. Um, as is Wujukum Toltina Kinship Community is on there and uh, our other programs are on there. And everything that I do is all interconnected. And so supporting any area of the work supports all of the work because it's, it really is all connected. Okay. And, you know, I do offer uh, classes. So following me on Facebook also, um, I have a public Facebook page that people can like and follow. Um, which is also facebook.com slash sacred instructions. And I post classes that I'm teaching. I have two classes that are going to be coming up in the next month. Actually, one um, is a class on race and colonization and, um, uh, you know, the state of our society. And the other one, uh, which I'll be co-teaching with a, a colleague of mine, Dr. Darren Rinko. And then the other one is a three fires teaching on looking at the heart center, uh, you know, in the mind uh, that, you know, that, uh, um, and the knowledge center, the intellectual knowledge center in the mind, the knowledge center in the heart and the knowledge center in the gut and how those three fires work together in coherence to be able to uh, open us up to our higher state of, of knowing. And so we have a lot of, of teachings connected to um, those three centers. So people have been asking for teaching about that right now because, you know, it's a perfect time for us to try to bring ourselves into balance, into coherence, so that we can actually activate and access that higher knowledge center within us to bring in the solutions that are needed at this time so desperately. Well, that has been really, really wonderful. And thank you for sharing this time with us. It's been a pleasure. I'm thank sure you so much. This community will be really touched by this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. For more information, you can find us at 
resistancerecovery.com.